to the Vanguard Trilex Podcast, where our goal is to help you to walk in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. You're about to hear a sermon from one of our weekend services in Monument, Colorado. We pray that your faith is provoked, your mind is renewed, and your heart is awakened as you engage the Word of God. Stay tuned after the sermon for ways you can stay connected with us. God bless you. Thanks for tuning in. Again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, you live among rebels who have eyes but refuse to see. They have ears but refuse to hear, for they are rebellious people. So now, son of man, pretend you are being sent into exile. Pack a few items an an exile would carry and leave your home to go somewhere else. Do this right in front of the people so they can see you, for perhaps they will pay attention to this, even though they are such rebels. Bring your baggage outside during the day so they can watch you. Then in the evening, as they are watching, leave your house as captives do when they begin a long march to distant lands. Dig a hole through the wall while they are watching and go through it. As they watch, lift your pack to your shoulders and walk away into the night. Cover your face so so you cannot see the land you are leaving. For I have made you a sign for the people of Israel. So I did as I was told. In broad daylight, I brought my pack outside, filled with the things I might carry into exile. Then in the evening, while the people looked on, I dug through the wall with my hands and went out into the night with with my pack on my shoulder. The next morning, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, these rebels, the people of Israel, have asked you what all this means. Say to them, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. These actions contain a message for King Zedekiah in Jerusalem and for all the people of Israel. Explain that your actions are a sign to show what will soon happen to them, for they will be driven into exile as captives. Even Zedekiah will leave Jerusalem at night through a hole in the wall, taking only what he can carry with him. He will cover his face and his eyes will not see the land he is leaving. Then I will throw my net over him and capture him in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon, the land of the Babylonians, though he will never see it and he will die there. I will scatter his servants and warriors to the four winds and send the sword after them. And when I scatter them among the nations, they will know that I am the Lord. But I will spare a few of them from death by war, famine, or disease so they can confess all their detestable sins to their captors. Then they will know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're in this book of Ezekiel. And today, what we're going to talk about is this, this concept in Ezekiel 12, 13, and 14. There's three components uh, of a Christian faith, a Christian's life, uh, that need to be true and not false. True and not false. And so since literally I kind of was curious who was going to show up today, what the attitude was going to be since you got an hour less of sleep. So I planned in a little game at the beginning of the sermon. Is that okay? We're going to play a game. So I want everybody to stand up, all right? The game is called True or False. True or False. All right, so I'm going to ask you a question, and then uh, if you think the answer is true, you're going to put your right hand up. If you think it's false, you're going to put your left hand up. Okay, you ready? It's simple enough. You ready? Here's the first one. Camels have three sets of eyelashes. How many say true? Put your hand up. Right hand's up. Left hand's. Anybody say left hand is false? Okay. The answer is true. So if you, have, if you put your left hand up, sit down. 
Okay? All right, you're already out. Thanks for playing. Uh, the next one's easy. The next one's easy. New York City is nicknamed the Big Orange. Right hand true, left hand false. How many say true? Okay, all the false ones put it down. Wait, you, yeah, oh, was that your right hand? I'm looking at it backwards. Yeah, you did it right. Okay, you're good. All right. Scallops have terrible vision. Right hand true, left hand false. Right hand true, left hand false. Ready? You have to play. All right, if you said true, you're wrong. Sit down. Okay, the answer is false. Scallops have hundreds of eyes. They have perfect vision. How about this one? This one's funny. Nearly 14% of the ice in the Antarctic glaciers are penguin urine. <laughs> How many people? Right hand true, left hand false. Right hand true, left hand false. The answer is false. It's only 3%. That's still a lot of penguin urine, though. All right, we got three left. You got three left? Is that right? Y'all come up here in the front. You said true. Sit down. No, I said false. I, that's your... I said this. Okay. You, if you're still in it, come up here in the front. Here we go. You ready? Here's the next one. It takes a sloth two weeks to digest his food. How many say true? Right hand true, left hand false. Oh, look, he's cheating. Yeah, you can't. Don't look at the screen. I'm not looking. I can't be in this one. Okay, sit down. Just go sit down. You're out. You're out. That's wrong. You don't, you're not going to want this prize anyway. Um, all right, the answer was true. If you said false, you got to sit down. How many are left? Three are left. Oh, three wonderful people. Ready? Human beings can't sneeze while sleeping. True or false? Right hand true, left hand false. Right hand true, left hand false. Okay, the answer is true. That's it? Did you all say false? Okay, you all said false. You're all still in it. Okay. How about this one? At the height of his popularity, Charlie Chaplin entered into a Charlie Chaplin lookalike contest and took 20th place. True or false? Right hand true, left hand false. Okay, you all say true. You're all right. Okay. Um, a rhinoceros's horn is made entirely of hair. True or false? Right hand true, left hand false. The answer is true. You're out. All right, just between the two of you. Now this is one. This is one that my grandmother used to tell me. I don't know. I didn't believe it. If you swallow gum, it stays in your body for three years. Right hand true, left hand false. Right hand true, left hand false. Oh, here we go. The answer is true. It stays in your body for three. Bree, you win. All right, I'm going to give you your. Hey, hey, Sue. You get this one uh, right now, okay? This is, uh, this is our newest oh, album. Just listen to that. Yes. Oh, if you already have it, then give it to somebody. Raise your hand if you don't have it. Who doesn't have it? Hey, Bree, you're going to get yours later, okay? All right? There's a couple more. Do you want to see the, the ones that were left? Only female mosquitoes bite, true or false? It's true. We all know this as men. Um, how about this one? <laughs> President Abraham Lincoln had no middle name, true or false? How many say? How many say true? How many say false? It's true. He had no middle name. Uh, Donald Duck's sister is named Donna Duck. True or false? How many say true? You say false? The answer is false. It's it's well, it's Dumbella. She has Dumbello too. Yeah, Daisy was not his sister. They were dating. That would be weird. Yeah, uh, that's that's a little weird, Melanie. Whew. Uh, how about this one? This is my favorite one of the whole bunch. In Georgia, it is illegal to eat fried chicken with a knife and a fork. True or false? <laughs> John said it should be true. It is true. Uh, you can only use your hands. That's the true. Okay, so anyway, 
<laughs> All right, I hope you're awake. I hope you're alert. I hope that was fun. Uh, three components of a Christ follower's life that must be true and must not be false. Okay, so let's talk about what's happening in that long passage that Chuck read a little bit earlier. What's happening in that passage is God is speaking directly to Ezekiel, and he wants them to go speak to the remnant of Israel that's left in Jerusalem. There are still some people after the Babylonian exile who are still kind of posted up. They're kind of, you know, holding camp in Jerusalem. And, uh, and these people uh, have begun to create for themselves their own kingdom. There's a guy named uh, Jedekiah, or Zedekiah, this guy, even Zedekiah, uh, who has decided that he is now the king of Israel. He is posted up, and he's telling everybody there, just so you know, now that everybody's gone to exile, they're probably all dead, we'll never see him again, I'm the king. He's proclaimed himself to be the king. And there's all this language in Ezekiel as you're reading it. Whenever Ezekiel talks about uh, Zedekiah, he's got some nasty things to say. Uh, Jeremiah, who was a contemporary uh, prophet in the same time, who is actually in Jerusalem, uh, records that Zedekiah's attempts at salvaging the Jewish way of life, replete with priests and prophets, but none of its derivative of the one true God. What he's done is he's taken all of the culture of Jerusalem and Israel, and he's turned it into his own thing. They're not worshiping Yahweh. They're worshiping an idol. They're not living their lives in praise of Yahweh. They're living their lives in, in order to build their own kingdom. It was a man-made hoax designed to engender loyalty and love of the people towards the new regime. And so Ezekiel, he only ever responds to Zedekiah as the prince. He calls him the prince. Not like prince, you know, from Minnesota with the symbol. He calls him like the prince. And he's really being super petty. I love it. Um, he's basically saying, uh, you, sir, are not anyone's king. He's communicating to him. Every time he calls him a prince, he's, he's pushing against the falseness of his kingship, right? All of this posturing, all of this posing is creating something awful and distracting in the hearts of God's chosen people. It's creating something called hope. It's creating hope. Now, if you remember, the whole idea of the Babylonian exile was that God was just about good and tired of the way that they had lived their life, the way that these people who he had chosen, he had set them apart. He had said, these are the people that are going to experience and represent my glory, and they just started living as all the other nations around them were living, worshiping idols, giving their attention to things other than God. And God wasn't cool with it. And so now that this has happened, he's taken them into exile. These people are like, good. Now that they're gone, we're going to build our own kingdom. And they're building their own false hope. So three components of a Christ follower's life that must be true and must not be false. The first one is hope. Your hope must be true. It must not be false. Now, hope is a wonderful thing. I mean, can you imagine living life without hope? Can you imagine living life with no hope whatsoever? Hope is powerful. At the root core of every triumphant story we've ever seen or told is hope. Hope is dangerous. Hope makes people believe the unbelievable, right? It drives people past uh, their limits. It, it eradicates fear. Hope is a powerful thing. And in this moment in history, Israel's hope is built on lies. It's built on Zedekiah's lies. I heard this quote a couple months ago, and it's going to be the through line for this entire sermon, okay? I'm going to use this for all three of our components. This is the quote. The only thing worse than no hope 
is false hope. The only thing worse than no hope is false hope. Like, if you were, you know, you know, our brother, sister, Mary of the poor college, and you were going up against the LSU Tigers. That's right. That's right. I said it, Barry, the LSU Tigers. Um, you have no hope, okay? You have no hope. We're going to destroy you. Uh, and that's right. I said we. <laughs> we're going to destroy you. But, but what's worse than knowing that you're going to lose is if somehow someone kind of gasses you up and makes you feel like you can actually win when you really have no shot, but then they make you feel like you have a shot, and then you get destroyed, and now that false hope really kind of hurts you even worse. Do you see what I'm saying? So the only thing worse than no hope is false hope. God brought these people intentionally into a season of hopelessness. He wanted for them to stop hoping for these wrong things. He wanted them to stop putting their hope in idols, to stop putting their hope in distractions. And so he brought them into despair and danger and desolation and decimation. And he did all that so that they would look in and they would say, okay, I need to think about what I've done so that they would look up and they would say, oh, okay, I need to think about the God who called me. And instead, all they're doing because of this false hope is they're looking out and they're thinking, maybe we have a shot against the LSU Tigers. Maybe we have a shot today. And God's like, you're not getting the message They're still looking for human answers, human solutions, human escape routes. They're still looking for a way to solve their human problem with human solutions, and it's not going to work. And so we heard this fabulous story. God tells Ezekiel, look, here's what I want you to do. In the public square, I want you to dig a hole, and I want you to climb through the hole. I want you to pack a bag as if you were going to be in exile, as if you were leaving your house forever and ever. What would you put in your house? You ever heard that story? Your house is on fire. You can run into your house. What are the three items that you would grab, right? Um, th- that's kind of what he's telling him. Grab th- you know, two or three things, put it in a bag, go through a hole, and make sure everybody sees you. Pretend like you're going into exile. But the point is that God wants everybody to see this because he's like, there was a reason I sent you into exile, right? Look at this, verse 3. It says, do this right in front of the people so they can see you. For perhaps, (laughs) perhaps they will pay attention. God doesn't have a lot of faith in these stubborn people. Perhaps they will pay attention, even though they are such rebels. Look at this in verse 6. He says to Ezekiel, I have made you a sign for the people of Israel. Now, this is just an aside, but I love that verse. I love that verse, Christian. If, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Jesus, I love that verse. God says, I have made you a sign. Your life, your faith, the way that you love, the way that you care, the way that you show consideration, the way that you, that you serve, I've made you a sign for my glory so that people would see me when they see you. That's awesome. I love that. God says he wants them to turn away from false hope and see that only God himself can offer hope. So I would ask you this question. Here's the direct application to you and me. You ready? Here's the question. What, besides God, do you look to in order to feel hopeful? What is it for you? What do you look to? Where does, you, where does your heart go? Whenever you're feeling despair, whenever you're feeling lonely, whenever you're feeling lost, where does your heart go? What do you look for besides God to find hope? Because if you're a Christ follower, you have to make sure that your hope is true and not false. If you're putting your hope in anything other than Jesus, somebody say amen, then you're putting it in a false hope. Do you remember the hymn 
the hymn that we would sing back in the day. We're going to sing it today at the end of service. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. This is important. All other ground is sinking sand. That's the truth. That's the truth. Anything else that you stand on, anything else that you hope in, is just sinking sand. It's false hope. So, the only thing worse than no hope is false hope. Now, in the New Testament, um, they speak about it a little differently. Uh, They talk about it through the lens of dead or alive. Is your hope dead or is your hope alive? You've heard me say before that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not about making bad people into good people, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ is about bringing dead people to life. Somebody say amen, right? That's the idea. And so Peter says this in 1 Peter. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. It belongs to us. It's imperishable. It won't go away. It's undefiled. It's holy. It's unfading. And it's kept in heaven for you. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. The only hope that matters is the living hope that can only be found in Jesus Christ. So, Christ followers, got to make sure that your hope is true and not false. Here's the second one. Three components of a Christ follower's life that's got to be true and not false. Number two is prophecy. Prophecy. You have to rely upon true prophecy and not false prophecy. I saw a movie just recently. It just came out in theaters. a movie called Knock at the Cabin. Anybody seen this movie yet? Anybody? I'm the only sinner? Okay. Um, (laughs) Right on. Cool. Hi, Richie Fike. I'm a sinner. Um, so uh, it, look at the tagline. It says, save your family or save humanity, make the choice. This is an M, M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong movie, okay? Um, and it's, <laughs> I don't know how to say his name. Uh, but anyway, it's an M. Night movie, and uh, it's a great, great movie. Like, I really, really loved it. It's all about prophecy. What happens is this uh, gay family, they have a daughter. They go to this cabin in the woods. By the way, Don't go to a cabin in the woods. How about, right? That's how all bad things start. Okay, anyway, so they go to this cabin in the woods, and there's a knock at the cabin, and it's these four people, and they have gotten a message from God. And the message is that the world is coming to an end in the next day, and the only way to stop the end of the world is if one of you sacrifices the other. So one of these three have to murder the other person in their family. Now, we were talking about this Friday night, Justice and Dana and I, as we celebrated Justice's 18th birthday. And I said, so what would we do in this situation? And Dana said, easy, we'd kill you, no problem. (laughs) So that's the kind of relationship I have. Um, But... (laughs) But anyway, as you watch this movie, it's powerful because not only do you, do you see this prophecy unfold, but you see the burden that is upon the prophet. These four people are, are carrying this incredibly heavy burden. Uh, I'm not going to ruin it for you. It's pretty violent, so if you're squeamish about violence, don't watch it. Don't watch it. But if you're interested in a movie that kind of you know, displays prophecy, I thought it was powerful. Um, but this is the question. How do you discern if a prophecy is true or false. 
How do you discern if something someone says to you, I have a word from the Lord, the Lord says, and then fill in the blank. How do you discern if it's true or false? How are you supposed to respond to a prophetic moment when it happens to you? I read this. This is, a, this is from one of my commentary books. It said, a, pr- a prophecy, plain and simple, is a message. It's a message that has been communicated to a person, the prophet, by God for a particular audience. So if you think about Ezekiel, God's speaking to Ezekiel, right? So it's to Ezekiel by God for the people of Israel. That's the way it worked. Uh, so that, that's, just, that's just kind of what prophecy is. What is God's method for getting a message to you today? A lot of people argue that prophecy is done with. That um, it's 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 a you know once the canon of scripture was closed we don't need any new information from God that He's not speaking anymore. I got to tell you I sense the Lord speaking to me all the time, and I'm sure that many of you do as well. I believe that prophecy is very much still part of God's plan. It's how He likes to communicate. It's one of the spooky pieces of Christianity. It really is that we can communicate. We can sense a, a word, a, a, a truth from God directly to us. It's powerful. Uh, But there are three primary ways that the Lord communicates currently, and that's through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. And the question that I thought about is I thought about these prophecy moments, and we're going to read one in uh, Ezekiel 14 or 13, is this. Can you imagine a life on earth totally exempt of divine interaction with God? You're like, yeah, it's called atheism, right? Atheists get no messages from God. I would say that atheists are getting messages from God all the time. Um, Garrett and I were driving the other day to play basketball, and I remarked to him that it's been a year and a half since we moved back here, and I'm already kind of over the mountains. You guys are back, right? You're back from Texas. Did you have a moment this week where you went, oh, Pikes Peak, it's beautiful, right? When you live here, you kind of don't, you kind of don't live that way, right? If you drive by one of those uh, places where people take pictures, none of the, dr- the license plates are Colorado plates, right? It's like Rhode Island, <laughs> like, whoa, right? And so God is constantly speaking to us and communicating to us. Can you imagine a life where God wasn't speaking? Can you imagine an existence where God isn't speaking? Can you imagine if all we had to go on were cold words on a page? If all we had was like Shakespeare, you know, if that's all we had, can you imagine if the truth we have access to only pertained to a bygone era? Like if if we read Ezekiel and we said, well, I mean, good for them. That has nothing to do with me, right? That would be awful. Can you imagine a life without prophecy, without messages from God, from heaven, making their way to earth? So here's that through line again. The only thing worse than no prophecy It's false prophecy. The only thing worse than us not hearing from God is someone representing God as if he knew what God was saying. And we're gonna see that here in Ezekiel 13. Look at this. It says, then this, key word, message, came to me from the Lord, son of man, prophesy against the false prophets of Israel who are inventing their own prophecy. Say to them, listen to the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says, what sorrow awaits the false prophets who are following their own imaginations and have seen nothing at all. O people of Israel, these prophets of yours are like jackals digging in the ruins. They have done nothing to repair the breaks in the walls around the nations. They have not helped it to stand firm in battle on the day of the Lord. Instead, they have told lies. 
and made false predictions. They say, this message is from the Lord, even though the Lord never sent them. And yet they expect him to fulfill their prophecies. Can your visions be anything but false if you claim this message is from the Lord when I have not even spoken to you? False prophecy. It's terrible. The only thing worse than no prophet is a false prophet. Amen? You with me? So I'm going to tell you this story. This is a true story. Uh, In the summer of 2002, uh, 2001, sorry, summer of 2001, uh, Dane and I were offered to go lead worship at this little church in Shreveport, Louisiana, okay? And we're from, I'm from Louisiana, so we call Shreveport like uh, west, like east, east Texas. Like it's not even really Louisiana, right? Uh, but we went, we went to Shreveport and it was a little church, probably half the size of our church, uh, very small. There's like 40 people in the room. We led worship, we did our thing. I'm packing up and this lady walks up to me and she looks like she's seen a ghost. Like she has this look on her face, like she has had a moment with God, like a holy moment with God. And she says, look, this doesn't happen to me very often, so I'm sorry if this is weird or whatever, but I just want to tell you that I feel like the Lord spoke something to me that I'm supposed to say to you. And I was like, okay, here we go. Buckle up, buttercup, right? Like you don't don't know what's coming. And she says, I mean, all I could really discern was the Lord said, go west, go west. Now, we were living in Tyler, Texas at the time, so I thought, well, sure, we're going to get on I-20, we're going to go west, we're going to go home, is that what you, and she's like, no, I think it means something more than that. The Lord says, go west. So, um, I didn't really think much about it. By the way, I think when people give you a prophecy like that, I think the right thing to do is to just say, okay, I received that, take it, put it on a bookshelf, and don't live to try to prove it, you know? Don't try to make it come true. Because if it really was from the Lord, then it's really gonna come true. So, that fall, um, Kelly Williams at Vanguard Church out here in the West in Colorado, right? Um, He was looking for a worship pastor. They had, uh, Brian Beatty, their worship pastor, had resigned. And they were looking for a guy. They'd been looking for a long time, and they couldn't find anybody. Um, And then one day, randomly, Uh, Lori Sanders, who was dating our friend Ben Kennedy. Uh, Ben Kennedy and I and Dana made this album called Face Down. This is one of, Bree, this is special. This is one of 15 that are left that are still in shrink wrap, okay? Um, So so, uh, we made this album called Climb to the Rooftops. Now, we had made it in the summer of 2000, I think. Uh, Yeah, 2000. Um, Ben and I were on this album together. Ben says to Lori, hey, why doesn't Kelly just call Fike? Maybe he'd want the job. Uh, and so she gave him this CD. And, now it's, and we're going to pass this back to you. This is your gift for winning True or False. Okay? So um, <clears throat> it's a very, very bad album. Um, it's, I mean, it's, I'm not, we're not super proud of it. But there's some good Dana stuff on that record. All the me stuff is like cringe. But all the Dana stuff is really cool. So anyway, they put that record on Kelly's desk. And he called. Uh, we interviewed. We came up and interviewed. And uh, at the end of the interview process, we had an elder interview. That was the last part of the day. At this time in Vanguard's history, uh, they had this unanimity uh, clause for all elder decisions. So if they were going to make a decision, everybody on the elder team had to agree. Well, there was a guy on the elder team at that time who had a secret sin in his life. 
he was uh, kind of gallivanting and drinking to excess. And he asked the question of me, a former alcoholic who had you know, recently given up alcohol and become a convict all in the same day, right? You know this story. Uh, so, uh, and so he asked the question of me. So Fike, um, if you were sitting down with someone who doesn't know the Lord Jesus and, and they ordered a beer, what would you do? And I said, I would order a Mountain Dew No Ice and talk to him about Jesus. And he thought that answer was very flippant and he didn't like it. And so he decided, because at that time, unanimity, the answer is no, we're not hiring Richie Fike to be our worship pastor. So Kelly called me after we'd gone home to Texas and said, man, regretfully, I gotta tell you, we're not gonna be able to hire you. Um, and I was like, but why? And he protected his team. I can't really talk to you about that right now. But what I would ask you to do is to write a letter to our elders and thank them for the interview process. And I said, but I'm not thankful. <laughs> and he said, he said, yes, but I want you to write the letter. And so I was like, okay, I'll pray about it. I wasn't going to pray about it. I wasn't going to write the letter. And so anyway, I'm working at Rainbow Pools, okay? I'm cleaning pools. This is my job. And I'm cleaning a pool, and the Lord whispers in my ear, go west. It reminds me of this moment. And I said, Lord, I tried. I tried to go west. They, they don't want me. And he said, go west. And so I, I went back home that night. I wrote a letter. I sent it in. And about a month later, I got a phone call from two or three of my references that I had written down. And they said, bro, I just talked to your pastor. I'm so pumped. You're moving to Colorado. I was like, what are you talking about? I don't drink. And so I can't work there. Um, <laughs> and so... Uh, <laughs> Kelly calls and he says, hey man, that letter meant a lot. That was a fleece for me. I shared that with the team. We actually changed the rule about unanimity. Now we've made it uniformity. And so it's more about like a majority rules. And so, and then about a month later, that guy that had the problem with me, all of his sin sort of became public and he got taken off the elder team. It's kind of a tragic story. But the point of it was, what if I had just tried to go, go Gadget Richie to make the go west thing happen? That's not how it works. And the Lord speaks something to you. You just receive it. You put it on a shelf and you say, Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Like, you wouldn't know me today, right? We wouldn't be friends today if it weren't for that moment when I'm cleaning that pool and the Lord convinced me to write that letter. Isn't that amazing? I think God's awesome. So let's talk about prophecy for a minute. The spiritual gift of prophecy is listed among the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12. The Greek word translated prophesying or prophecy in both passages properly means to speak forth or declare the divine will, making known the truth of God, which is designed to influence people. That's a lot of words. Here's the point. Many people misunderstand the gift of prophecy to be the ability to predict the future. That's not really what prophecy is about. It's not about predicting the future. Uh, something, while, while knowing something about the future may sometimes have been an aspect of the gift of prophecy, it was primarily a gift of proclamation, not prediction. So forthtelling, not foretelling, okay? So when the Apostle Paul talks about prophecy, he's clear on the purpose of it. It's not to deliver doom, but it's to encourage faith. Look at this in 1 Corinthians. It says, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The whole point of prophecy is to build up your faith is to make you believe a little more, trust a little more in Jesus. That's the idea. And so can you imagine a life 
without prophecy. Can you imagine a life in Jesus without hearing messages from the King of Kings? The only thing worse than no prophecy is false prophecy. Now, here's how you identify false prophets. It's really simple. Anything extra biblical suggesting new revelation about God? If you would say, look, I know this isn't in the Bible, but let me tell you some things about God that's not written in there, that's a false prophet. Uh, Anything counter-biblical suggesting deviation from God's word? I know it says this, but actually this this is what God says. No, that's false prophecy. Anything that tears down your faith instead of building it up. That's false prophet. The Lord says, you're, you're a dirty, evil sinner, and he hates you. Wait a minute. <laughs> Calm down. That's false prophecy, right? So three components of a Christ follower's life that must be true and not false, prophecy. Here's the last one, devotion. Look at this in Ezekiel 14. It says this, then some of the leaders, that's a key word, leaders of Israel visited me. And while they were sitting with me, this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their request? Tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts and fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer their great idolatry deserves. Watch out. Verse five, I will do this to capture the minds and hearts of all my people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols. Therefore, tell the people of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says, repent and turn away from your idols and stop all your detestable sins. I, the Lord, will answer all those, both Israelites and foreigners who reject me and set up idols in their hearts and so fall into sin and who then come to a prophet asking for my advice. Verse eight, I will turn against such people and make a terrible example of them, eliminating them from among my people. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Now, the verse that popped off the page to me was verse three. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. So, come on, I gotta be preacher boy for a minute. Can I just ask the question? Have you embraced things, right, that have made you fall into sin? Have you embraced some things that are just calling at you? They're just trying to get you to pull your devotion away from God and onto something else? We'd all really like it when we read the Bible if the Bible would function as a telescope where we could read the Bible and look at TJ's sin. And just point at TJ and look, just, uh, boy, look at all that sin. Look at, that's a lot of sin. And like, focus in on it. Ooh, I didn't even see that part of it, right? We would love for the Bible to be a telescope that points at everybody else's sin. But you know what the Bible really is? It's a microscope. That's the point of it, that we're supposed to use the Bible to allow it to sharpen us, to focus us. And it's meant to offer us a greater vantage point of our own heart, not of TJ's heart, of my heart. When I read the Bible, I have to ask myself that kind of a question, just like I just asked you. Is there anything that I'm doing, is there anything I'm giving my heart to that's pulling at my devotion to Jesus? Is there anything? Because your heart is built for devotion. You can't help it. 
I know, uh, you know my daddy was a rolling stone. I get all that. But I'm just saying there's a part of you that desperately wants to be devoted, to be connected, to be committed to something. We're all built for this. We're built to worship. That's how he made us. And so can you imagine a world without devotion? Can you imagine a world without commitment? Can you imagine a world where apathy and cynicism ruled the day where nobody really cared about anything at all? I've been learning this term from my teenage friends. Uh, JM, I'm sure you use this term. Um, it's not JM, by the way, it's JM, right? Uh, Justice, Mac, I've heard you use this term before. And the term is a tryhard. Anybody know about a tryhard? This is a teenage term. A tryhard, am I right about this? A tryhard is something, is a person who's constantly doing the most, okay? You ever just see somebody that's just doing the most, trying to get attention, trying to get people to like them? And the problem with a tryhard is very often they're doing things that aren't true to who they are. They're, being, they're trying to be someone else so that you'll like them. Is that fair, right? Teenagers, are you with me? So here's the problem, teenagers. Um, we're supposed to be trying hard. We're supposed to be working hard. We're supposed to be giving our best. We're not supposed to be apathetic. The opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy, right? The opposite of love is not hate. It's apathy. God did not design you to fit in. He made you to stand out. And so, husbands and wives, your marriage was designed to bring glory to God. Be a good spouse for the glory of the Lord, right? Uh, Parents, family, your family was designed to bring glory to God. Be a good parent. Kids, teenagers, be a good teenager. Be a good son. Be a good daughter. Right, Elena? Can you be a good daughter? I bet you can, right? Uh, For the glory of the Lord. Uh, Your career was designed to be a vehicle for the glory of God. Be great at what you do so that when people notice you, they see God. I have made you a sign. That's the whole point. So be a tryhard, Mackenzie. Why don't you try it once, okay? Uh, (laughs) Your talent, your abilities, your uniqueness, they're all part of God's plan to utilize you to display his glory on the earth. Don't be more committed to these things than you are to God, the one who granted them to you. So I'll ask you a question. Is your devotion to God, is it true or is it false? Is your devotion to God, your devotion to God, true or is it false? David said this in the Psalms. I love this. This is a prayer that we should all be praying. He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. And I'll tell you, uh, as I read through this and as I thought about the fact that I'm going to stand up on this platform and say this to you wonderful people, I had to ask myself the question, am I willing to talk about this in my own life? Am I willing to take that microscope and look at my own soul, at my own devotion? So I asked questions like, am I more devoted to tennis, James, than Jesus? Whew, I love tennis. I love winning tennis matches. <laughs> really, really do. Am I more committed, am I more devoted to that than to Jesus? Am I more devoted to sharing sermons, to playing songs? Am I more devoted to Vanguard Tri-Lakes than I am to Jesus? Am I more devoted to Dana than I am to Jesus, to my kids, to the Denver Nuggets? <laughs> Help me, Lord. Um, <laughs> to LSU football. What about you? Where? <laughs> Was that, a, was that a prophecy from the Holy Spirit? It was extra biblical. I don't receive it. Um, 
He said Chick-fil-A, just so you know. Um, What about you? Where's your devotion level for God? What idols are you flirting with? Look at this question. What idols are flirting with you? Right now in your life, what idols, detestable idols, are flirting with you? The only thing worse than a life without devotion is a life filled with false devotion. Amen? Christ followers must make sure their devotion is true and not false. So we started today with some true and false questions, right hand, left hand. So we're going to end it with three. You ready? Um, By the way, the answer to all of these are very simple. True or false, the only hope we have in this life can be found in Jesus, right hand or left hand, right? Anything that adds to or contradicts Holy Scripture is to be disregarded at all costs, right hand or left hand. Amen, right hand. And there is only one way to be devoted to God, and that's to be fully devoted, right hand or left hand. Amen. So three components of a Christ follower's life that must be true and not false. Hope, prophecy, and devotion. So this week, as you go through your life, I would ask you to just kind of investigate yourself. Investigate your walk with the Lord. Investigate your faith. Investigate your hope. Investigate your devotion. And be honest about it. Some of these are going to be cringy moments for you where you have to go, ugh, Lord, I've given too much of my heart to this. I'm flirting with this temptation. This idol's got a hold of me. Whatever it is, this week, and maybe even today before you hit the communion table, have a moment with the Lord and just say, Lord, I want to turn away from anything that's not fully devoted to you. Amen? Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth that we get to hear today. Thank you for Ezekiel, who was willing uh, to be a messenger, willing to be a vehicle for the message of God, willing to share the burden of this truth that you wanted to say to your people. And we thank you, Lord, that even as he said it to your people, there's things that he's saying to us today. So, Lord, I pray as we come to the table, as we approach communion today, that we would be honest with you, that we would take the Bible, we would take that microscope and look deep into our hearts and ask you some real questions. Reveal to us, Lord, where our devotion is, where our hope is, and what kind of messages we've been standing on. We love you. We trust you. We want you more than anything else, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope that today's message truly encouraged you to fight for a real relationship with Jesus Christ. We want to hear from you. Please send an email to tlpod at vanguardchurch.org. We'd love to know how we can pray for you and hear your stories about how this podcast has impacted your life. If you'd like to give financially to our ministry, just text the amount you'd like to give to the number 84321. You can find Vanguard Tri-Lakes on all social media platforms, and we hope that you'll give us a follow. Thanks for joining us, and may God bless you beyond imagination. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, a Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.